Hello and welcome to Guru Please, the show about pushing the limits of life and stepping up to live with more meaning, more purpose, and more passion. I'm your host, Jessica Sun. I'd like to introduce Marco Stefano. Marco is a professional coach and life mentor. He has had a unique and compelling journey going from purposeless to purposeful. He has since used these events of facing loss and trauma to reinvent himself in a process he calls rising smarter and stronger from the ashes. Now as a coach, he helps conscious men and women facing difficult life transitions to rise and thrive. Welcome to the show, Marco. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you for inviting me for this conversation. I'm really looking forward. Let's start off by acknowledging that right now we're in a time of crisis with COVID-19. And this is kind of your specialty. What are you doing in the wake of this crisis? Well, that is a good question. Uh, I think when it, uh, of course, I'm fully aware that the crisis has impact for people on very different levels, whether that's job related, health related, or economically, you know, businesses and entrepreneurs. And I speak with a lot of people and I hear so many different stories. So I'm fully conscious of the impact. And it's, you know, sometimes really sad and dramatic and painful to hear. So a crisis brings a kind of a shock and a chaos in its path. And so people have to come to terms with that. And how do you navigate all this uncertainty and all this change? The norm is basically shaken. And interestingly enough for me, and it sounds a bit, a bit, maybe a bit weird, but it felt for me a bit like a rehearsal because of my own crisis that I went through five years ago on a personal level where I uh, went through a relationship breakdown quite suddenly. And as a consequence, I lost a lot of things, uh, my, my home, initially relationships, friendships, certain friendships, financially got into trouble, I, I hit rock bottom. And so I faced a lot of uncertainty immediately in a, very, in a, in a, in a short time frame. Mm-hmm. But it hit me on all levels. So it was not only financially, it was emotionally, mentally, spiritually, socially, it was like an earthquake. So when this crisis happened, it was almost like, well, I'm a bit familiar with all this uncertainty and how do you navigate this? And it was a bit weird to experience, if I'm honest, because looking back, it seems like, well, you have built resilience by going through a process of anchoring yourself and navigating and developing a different mindset uh, or how to handle a crisis. So it's interesting, but if, you know, as I said earlier, I'm fully conscious that not for everyone who, uh, is that same story. For some people, it's completely new, and it can be very overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Tell us more about what you do day to day. What I do day to day? Well, normally before the, the virus broke out, I tend to go to different coffee places where I work from. Basically, I use it as an office space because I love also to connect with people. Sometimes I get clients through my interactions where I work, which is always fun. But now, of course, the crisis has changed that. So now I have to work from one place in my room <laughs> uh, and do everything from there. So my rhythm is now I in the morning. Is that Because that's basically the question you asked me, yeah, well, what's kind of my rhythm? Is that correct? Right. Yes, uh, I wake up, do my exercise, my run, my push-ups to get my body into shape. I uh, read or listen to a podcast or have a reflection or kind of meditation to help me focus. And then I look to, you know, what my my schedule is, what I want to do, partly writing, like to write. 
but also uh, having coaching sessions if they scheduled in or prepare myself in my business how to to develop it further and also being coached as well you know to help my grow my business and then of course you have your meal and sometimes if I have the opportunity to get out because I'm living in London by the way so London is in lockdown and so there's a lot there is a restriction in the sense of what people are allowed to do you can go for a walk or for an exercise or for shopping but that basically is it <laughs> but that's basically the rhythm and then in the afternoon yeah, I work some more and then you have your meal and then yeah sometimes it's a bit hard to entertain yourself because if your room <laughs> I don't know how other people do it of course people have maybe families and kids that's of course different but one of the things I have discovered uh, and I have been intentional about is connecting more with people and that's very interesting and so one of the things I pushed is for example this podcast as a guest interview which I never have done before and I thought well why not explore this uh, and so that's one thing I also am doing and just remembering now, I started, I will launch a podcast with my daughter, uh, who is two hours away from me. Mm. And we had a lot of chats, of course, also via video call or voice call. And we're thinking to launch a podcast about conversations between a father and a daughter and about life and all, all, all about that. So it's very interesting. I, I, I've seen this crisis as an opportunity, despite the challenges, as an opportunity for growth. How can I push myself in other areas that I have maybe not explored before? Yeah, I definitely see that attitude of finding the opportunity in crisis. Bring us back to that time that you mentioned happened five years ago that felt like an yeah. earthquake. Yes. What was that like? What happened? What were the details? Uh, so five years ago, my marriage for 25 years, uh, 21 years uh, ended quite suddenly. My wife then basically went off with somebody else and I had to come to terms with that, uh, which was on my end. Yeah, I was hugely painful how to navigate that, coming to terms emotionally, mentally and spiritually. But then also the whole... Yeah, I think, how would I say that? The whole, the, the consequence of what, what is happening to you. And um, it triggered for me, it's interesting now understanding, looking back, because that's the other side of the coin. One of the things I say is in hindsight. So it's not what you think on the moment when you're going through it. Do keep that in mind. But what I know now, when you go through a traumatic experience of losing home and things are completely suddenly uncertain, and I had initially also panic attacks because I wasn't sure if I even would end up on the street uh, uh, because of lack of resources to sustain myself. It also triggered certain beliefs, unconscious beliefs, from my earlier childhood, which I now understand why that is happening. It tends to ha always be triggering. So it was quite painful to deal with that, with rejection, with, well, with the shame. Uh, your confidence is completely shattered. It was a very traumatic experience, uh, you know, to, if you wanted to give words to it. I felt like that my heart was being fragmentized, like living flames, and it never stopped. It was like uh, walking around, but you're completely numb. I understand now from, you know, from seeking help along the way that it was, you're almost like in a trauma fog. So you can't really think straight. You, your body's in shock. It's basically trying to come to terms with everything. And I struggled with anxiety, with depression, with despair, with, uh, well, sometimes also with, with anger and, you know, and 
initially I had this kind of blaming kind of <laughs> mindset, but I discovered quickly that's not going to help me. So I had to come to terms with, well, not how I respond, not how, what happens to me, but how I respond will determine my outcome. But it was very difficult and on such a level that I came to a place that I wanted to commit suicide on an evening because I lived nearby the sea. And as I was contemplating that, and you have to put it into context because I was really weeping. I was completely emotional pain. It feels like physical pain. And when you feel that everything is taken away from you. And I had a spiritual encounter. My faith has been important in my life, although for the, the six years during the process, I was a bit disconnected for all kinds of different reasons. But in that moment of deep darkness, I groaned basically to the silent heavens, as I called it. And the next moment, I had this kind of spiritual encounter where a peace cloud is the best way I can describe it. A peace cloud completely cushioned me in. Basically, I became completely peaceful. And then I had a kind of vision of Jesus' face smiling at me and basically saying internally to me, Marco, do not worry. And the voice was, it's the, the interesting thing was the voice was silent and yet so powerful. It, just, it was like resonating through everything in me. And that was such an, uh, an experience. And it was night. And the next moment I saw the sun rising, which was weird because it was all evening. It was all in, in the night. And from a place from, from weeping and pain, suddenly to a place, suddenly in a moment of peace, and then having this, uh, this internal voice speaking to me profoundly, it was like I got hope again. It was like some new, new, and uh, I said it, uh, hope was filling my lungs. And that experience has been the catalyst for my transformational change, looking back. But it doesn't mean, just to clarify, that, you know, I still had to process the aftermath of the divorce and, uh, you know, the, all the practicalities, the, the grief, the phases of grief, which I don't understand how important it is that you walk that through. So it doesn't mean that the spiritual experience was like, oh, now is everything sunshine. But it gave me, uh, um, how would I say this? It formed the foundation and the energy and the, yeah, the ignition of to walk this through. And now I understand how powerful that is because I've even, even people saying that to me saw me in my mess, so to speak. And they saw me months later and they said, what happened to you? It's like, they said, it's almost like supernatural. There's so much strength in you. And I think, well, that's amazing to hear. But I think also because I engaged with the process. So I sought counseling, I sought therapy, began to dig in with my own pain. What do I need to learn from this? What, can, what were my mistakes? I had to take ownership of my own stuff. And I also made huge mistakes. I messed up, basically. And that's where I've learned, in order to make turn pain into gain, you have to face it and own it and deal with it. And that's the process what I applied. I have to say that one thing has been key in this whole change, and that is choosing to forgive. Uh, I cannot emphasize that enough. Forgiveness is the key for mental health. Mm-hmm. Do you mean forgiving her or forgiving you, yourself? Forgiving her, forgiving the people concerned, forgiving myself, and even forgiving God, because I'm really looking back, uh, and of course there's much more to this story, that I can now possibly probably share because, you know, when a crisis breaks out, that is, a, of course, a moment, but there's a building up to things. 
but for me, I had also court case against God. So I was also very angry at God. And I realized through my journey, choosing to forgive him in a sense, also released me, but also forgiving myself and also forgiving the people concerned. Mm-hmm. Because I realized the thing with forgiveness is, you see, if you do not forgive, you basically drink poison in your own body. It affects not only your mental health, it starts to affect your relationship dynamic, it starts to affect everything. So I knew instinctively, when it, even in my pain, uh, I can still remember, I was in my bed one day, just crying my eyes out because of the pain that I was feeling. And I had this sense suddenly, also through an experience of reminding me of what Jesus did on the cross. I saw a picture of her hand being nailed. I realized instantly, oh, I have to choose to forgive. And so that I did that. I prayed that out. I said, I choose to forgive and take this dagger out. I just feel like that when there is a betrayal involved. It's like a dagger in your heart. And I lo- lose, to lose it, to lose it, uh, loosen it. And, and I think that started the healing. Interestingly enough, and of course, it is a process. It's done instantly. But I do know this, when you just made that decision, your will decision, even though you, your feelings are all over the place, it starts to immediately to be my experience to release. And what you get in return is peace. Mm. A peace that, uh, because sometimes people think, sometimes people say it to me, you know, you, you resonate so much peace, how do you do that? And they say, well, I'm not generating it, but I know it has to do with choices. And what I want to challenge sometimes people with, you know, because you heard this phrase, you know, time will heal all wounds. I don't think that is the truth. Yes, time may soften the ache of a wound, but what really will speed up your healing is by making the right choices in the moment. And because people, for all kinds of reasons, don't do that, they prolong the, the process of their not healing, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's the sad story, is I do meet people, also through my coaching and also in my conversation with people, and some people have still pain and bitterness because of 10 years in the aftermath. I don't say it in any way to, to judge people, but there is a reality going on that our choices have impact. You know, we have free will to make a choice, but our choices do have consequences and that's, that has a result. So for myself, I realized by letting go the offense and not to judge, not to punish and taking ownership of my own stuff because that's the key as well you know the blame game will never work it's the uh, you know the maturity to to look inwards introspectively and recognize my goodness you know I, I wasn't good in those areas what has changed since that event happened or all these things happening for me personally it's a good question I think I can only say that now, okay? I couldn't say that when you're in the the heat of the moment of the furnace. But what I can say now is like, it has brought me to a complete different place of the depth of spirituality or emotional intelligence and empathy and compassion, also with other people, mentally much stronger, even though I had to walk a process through that, you know, and it has not been an easy process. Also, and this is maybe sounds maybe a bit weird, but when you have lost everything and you come to terms with that in a process, I'm not saying this happened in one moment, but over the period of these years, I've come to a place of I'm okay, even if I have nothing. 
I'm okay. And that is a freedom that, you know, that there's nothing that can buy. If you can be content in the midst of circumstances that seem to be completely uncertain, and what I mean with that is, you know, it was still uncertain about my income. I had sometimes days I had no food, but I came to a place of inner peace and of an understanding. I will be okay. And all the entanglement that I always thought, oh, I need this, I need that, which, of course, in the beginning I had very strongly, and the desires. And, of course, I have still desires that, you know, would love to get remarried again, all that stuff. That's, of course, great. But the entanglement somehow has been loosened for, for my heart, which created freedom. And that is, that is profound. Yeah, I feel that. I feel that peace and almost a sense of surrender to what's happening. Yes. The key thing is, maybe I need to write a book about it, dancing on water in the midst of uncertainty, adversity. And that's why I understand when people are shocked by this crisis because suddenly you lose your job or you can't pay the bills of your mortgage or, you know, a loved one dies, which creates a whole new dynamic of grief and interaction with relationship. How do you navigate uncertainty? And I think particularly in today's culture, we are, we are so focused on getting control. And I'm realizing now we are not in control. I think control is an illusion. We try so hard to find our security in whether it's in a bank account or in a salary or in our houses and everything else. But if you have come to a place where you lost everything and you realize that is not determined my value, it's not determined my significance, it's not determined my worth, I'm still my own person. Despite all that stuff, if I don't have it, I'm still a human being. There's certainly something starts to shift. There's something is, is, is changed. And I'm not saying this cheaply. But when you begin to realize that you can be comfortable in being uncomfortable, you can be at peace while there is uncertainty. I have overcome anxiety, depression, despair, because I have been there and it has been really a war zone, mental war zone. But when you have learned to navigate that, uh, I will call it strengthening your, your mental muscle, you, you gain. And that builds resilience. You mentioned value and that you separated your value from the circumstances you're in. Yes. I want to hear more about how you define value now. It's a very good question. Looking back over my life, I was still very performance-oriented, uh, driven in the sense, you know, I need to get my significance in what I do in order to be successful. And <laughs> to be honest, I've tried to build a business uh, before I changed into what I'm doing now in coaching. And that wasn't really going great either. It didn't really, was fully satisfactory. And I felt disappointed about that. And I think not feeling fully successful makes you then think, well, you know, well, what, what is my worth? And if I'm not successful, you see other people are much more successful, they earn maybe much more money or, you know, whatever that is in the external stuff. And so there was this comparison trap going on. And yeah, seeking your value from that or from what people would say or to get a certain position or to get a certain image. And I think the crisis for me, the best way I can describe a crisis or going through adversity, and, and we'll explain how I come to this kind of definition. So this is a bit of a side note. I love restoring furniture. And I can still remember there was one piece of furniture that had so many paint layers on it. It was black on the surface. So I stripped away the black and then it had red and then it had yellow. It had oh. white and it had green till I had the bare wood 
of oak. This was beautiful. So I stripped it away to bare wood. This is a beautiful piece of furniture and then, you know, restored it all the knobs and underhands, etc. But why I'm saying this, I feel adversity is like a paint stripper. Mm. It strips you from all the conditioning of layers built over the years by culture, by upbringing, by religion or society or educational stuff. It all strips it bare to bare authentic wood, so to speak. And that is very painful, I can tell you. But at the same time, when you allow that process to take place and you come back to your authentic self, so that you can start breathing again, then you realize, wow, this is just who I really am. No masks anymore. I have been aware, let's say it in that way, that I had masks, masks, but I don't want them. For me, authenticity is very important. So getting rid of all the, all the masks that I tried to hide behind, uh, realizing I have to go back to my authentic self. And adversity tends to do that if you surrender to that process. You can either fight against it, which of course will increase the turmoil, or you start to process it and think, well, what can I learn from this? How can I turn this into growth? How can I turn this pain into gold for somebody else's gain? So for me, looking back now, this has been a gift. Wow, really? But it was packed in wrapping paper that was horrendous, ah. horrible looking. If you would give me this present and say, hi, oh, Marco, here's this gift, I would, say, I would not have accepted it because the package was not really advising at all. But when I unpacked it, there was a gift hidden in it. And I think that is what I have learned. And that is my goal. That's my treasure. And that is something that no one ever, ever can take away from me. Uh, but it hasn't come cheap. That's the other side of the coin. I write about it and I think diamonds are pressured from ashes in darkness. They are not found, you know, on the street. That's not how they are formed. Mm. They are formed under high pressure in dark places from the ashes. And uh, I have been there. I know, well, sadly, you know, it's not a place I want to go back ever. But I know how it feels. I know the darkness, what it can do to you. And therefore, sadly, why people can commit suicide. Because the, the resources of unable to cope with the pain is basically looking for an outlet. I went in that arena as well, so I know how, they, well, how threatening that feels. I love that metaphor of a gift, just horrible wrapping paper. Yes, please remember, you have to put it into context. If you would have said that to me, oh, Marco, this is a gift, what's happened to you? I would not have accepted. I would probably have screamed and yelled <laughs> and think, what? <laughs> <laughs> At the time, yeah. Uh, that, and which is understandable because remember, and that's something also I think, one of the things I've discovered also, we have to be much more honest with our emotions and reality. Sometimes I think I heard too many success stories, but I don't hear the, the journey in it. It's easy for people who have a place of success and without any, you know, who are in a place of comfort. But what happens then is for people who are in the midst of that crisis or distress or struggle, they, they can't resonate with the people who are basically in a place of success because they don't speak the same language. And I think for people who have arrived at a better place, which of course is great, and I wish that to everyone, but we have to be careful with the language that we're using because if we really want to help people, we have to speak their language and stand with them in the pain, even though we may not always resolve it or able to fix it. That's also something that I've learned in my journey. There are some people who 
also were dumbfounded and overwhelmed and also hurt in one sense also because of what happened. Mm-hmm. And they showed kindness in different ways. And that's the other side of the coin. I've received kindness by a few friends, but also by strangers out of the blue. And I thought, wow. I can give you an example. Uh, there was a day that I, I lived, I live now in London, but then I lived in the nearby uh, Winchester. And one day I was walking around and, and I had no food for a couple of days. And I was saying to God, I'm hungry. How do I get food? You know, how do I do this? And I felt led to go to a restaurant. Now, the backstory of that restaurant is sometimes when I had some money, I had a coffee there just to be. And I read, tried to work on, on stuff. And the reason why, because for me, being outside among people gave me some kind of comfort to be around people, to recover. But I got a, basically, people got to know me because of it. So the manager knew me and the restaurant, etc. So I went back. I went to that restaurant. And I bumped into a couple who were basically waiting to be assigned to a table. And I still am figuring out how the heck how this happened. Ended up having a conversation with them. And then I thought, gosh, do I do I know you for somewhere? And and the person said, No, I'm not sure if I've met you before. But we ended up chatting. And then the next moment he said, You know what? Just join us in our table. And they paid for all my food. And I was thinking, huh? <laughs> How did <this> it happen? <laughs> you know, yeah. I had more moments. I had more moments like that. Yeah, you see, and and it's not that I was manipulating. I was not manipulating here. You know, I was not begging or like, oh, you know, I have no food. I said nothing about that. And so the only thing I said when they asked me to join the table, I said, but I don't want to impose. And to be honest, I, I can't really afford this kind of... Uh, I said, no, don't worry about it, you know. And I was a bit dumbfounded by it. So that was a huge blessing. And those are sweet moments. Those are, you know, the pearls, the silver linings in my journey. That doesn't mean I had it all the day, every day, but definitely not. But, you know, but those are highlights. Truly. And I think those are the treasures that I really, and I write about. Those are the interactions that are really precious. The moments when I started my coaching journey, when I jumped in becoming a coach, and so I took a huge risk, I didn't have the money. A financial advisor would say to me, Marco, you can't even afford this. We do not recommend. I thought, well, I have to, because I need to have my purpose. And in order to get there, I need some input. You have to remember, I'm in a war zone. I'm in survival mode. I need to get hold of something. Nothing is perfect, so I have to jump. So I did that training, and I started practicing. And I started practicing in coffee places by talking to strangers. Oh, okay. And that's how I got my clients. I had clients who hired me on the spot. (laughs) And that's where I learned to, well, I heard a lot of stories and enjoyed. By the way, just clarify this. It was not like, you know, me having a signpost or I need something for people. For me, it was all about, I just want to listen. I didn't come with any other agenda, but just being curious. The result sometimes was that people said, you know, what do you do? They said, well, I'm a coach. They said, wow, can I hire you? <laughs> you know, so it was not like, oh, I need to get something for people. It was just having a, a conversation with, with people heart to heart. And that's something I really value as well. And I think that's a lost art. I think we have lost the art of conversations, of really listening to people's stories. And people are always fascinated because some people said to me, how the heck can I talk to you two hours? So, for example, that I would never be talked about. They say, well, it all started with a question and you answer it. Mm-hmm. And, there, and there you went. 
Start with a question, yeah. Everything starts with a question, but the key is what kind of question. A powerful question can really change your life. I do believe that. What kinds of questions are you asking yourself? Gosh, well, one question, somebody else. You know, I learn a lot from other good coaches, you see, because in order to grow, this is another thing. If you want to grow, it's not only listening to podcasts, reading books, and watching videos. That's all great. I did that as well. I had to feed my soul, and I had to challenge my thinking, and that's all good. But to really get traction in your transformation, you have to invite somebody else into your life, either a mentor or a coach, who will challenge your thinking or draw out the answers, because we all have our blind spots. And recently, I um, heard a question. I thought that was a really provocative question I found. And the question is this, when you are in a room and you will leave the room, what would people miss when you have left? What does that mean to you? Well, what is your legacy? What's your gift? If, for example, people are glad that you left, there's probably some homework to do. (laughs) (laughs) But if people miss you, I asked this question recently to somebody else. She said, well, they missed my humor and my laughter. I said, wow, that's an amazing gift. So when you leave the room, laughter will leave as well. So you will have basically a gift of joy. And I think that's an important question to ask ourselves. It may provoke something, uh, in one sense I hope it does, because it makes you question, well, what is my impact? What is my influence when I enter a room? And it doesn't matter what your status is. I don't care if you are CEO or executive or leader or or waitress, or it doesn't matter. It's nothing to do with the job title. It's all to do with what you're carrying inside of you, what your gift is, awareness of your gift. And I have to be honest, it took me a long time to discover what is my gift, because you mentioned in my introduction from purposeless to purposeful. Mm-hmm. Most of my life till the crisis have been a journey of why the heck am I on this planet? I always had this question in the back of my mind, why am I here? And there's a story behind it because that's to do with my upbringing and my growing up. I always struggled in finding my purpose and I always felt like, how can I best describe this? Like a plane that is flying around but has no permission to land. So it's like I'm hanging between heaven and earth, but I can't land. So, what, what, you know, or to put it in a different way, as if something was wrong with the production line. You know, when you, people, products are being made, sometimes there's a mistake in the product. So basically, it's not functioning properly. And I felt, well, maybe there's something wrong in my production line because why seems my life to be as it is? The things that I've seen and encountered and the mistakes, etc. For a long time, searching for what is my purpose. And I think when you go through a crisis like this, it can, it can be like a rebirth, can be like a reawakening. And that's where I found my purpose. And that created quite profoundly. I think one thing that really ignited something, and that happened quite, I think, a couple of months after I was processing, you know, the, the change of my life, uh, I read this poem of Lord of the Rings. And I love the movies of the Lord of the Rings. I've seen it so many times. And I love the storyline and the character development. And I recognize myself in Aragon and also in Candle, the journey that they had to go through. But that's another story. But there were four sentences that Tolkien wrote as a poem. And one day I read that poem. When I started reading it, I started to weep suddenly. 
And I thought, what the heck is happening? Why am I so emotionally engaged with these four sentences? And I felt like my heart was burning as I was reading it. And suddenly my eyes opened and I thought, oh my gosh, this is my story. Because the four sentences, from the ashes, a fire shall be woken. A light from the shadow shall spring. Renewed shall be the blade that was broken. The crownless again shall be king. And the reason why this is such a powerful phrase for me, because that's my interpretation of it, and of course, it's just very personal what I'm sharing now. From the ashes of light, a fire shall be woken. For me, when I had this encounter on endangering to kill myself, I had this ignition of Jesus basically igniting the flame of passion into me again, of there is something for you here on this planet. But also awakening, you know, of my spirit and of hope from the shadows of light shall spring. An awakening took place of my own spirit, but also of hope. And hope is so important because hope is a powerful ally. When people lose hope, it goes quickly downhill. Uh, you know, so hope is very important. But then the, the third sentence was a renewed, so be the blade that was broken. For me personally, I thought my purpose is completely unfixable. I lost it. Basically, it was communicating my purpose can be restored. Then can we be renewed? Not only that. My identity, my confidence can be completely solid as bedrock, crowned. And that has become basically my message. And I say that to people and I'm getting very passionate about it. You see, our purpose, our assignment is like a sword forged in adversity, in the flames of adversity and hammered on the anvil of testing trials. That means it's not easy, it's uncomfortable but it's necessary in order to get a sword that can cut through steel. But also it's inscripted with our own life message. That means everything we have gone through, our sweat, our tears, our experiences, our, our good days, our bad days, everything is being forged into that sword. And that sword becomes your significance. That sword becomes your purpose. But in order to wield that sword and to give it a, a kind of a blow, you have to know who you are in your own identity. You have to know who you are as a person. And I've noticed most people, and including myself, I've always struggled with those elements. Who am I? You know, who am I as a man? If you're a woman, who you are as a woman? And if you are finding yourself in your confidence restored and you find your purpose, it becomes a powerful combination. How did you find your purpose? How do you find your purpose? Well, in pain. For me, it was in pain. For me, going through adversity, facing my pain, because I wanted to understand why, why people, you know, betrayal and, or affair have addictions, because I struggled as well, which I know that has had an impact on my marriage. So that's why I had to take ownership of with uh, pornography. There was coping mechanism that's traced back to my childhood. This is another, another story. I wanted to find out what is the dynamic. So I was searched a lot of stuff and I couldn't find it in my environment. So it led me to abroad. So found people who were either specialized in it. So read books, I spoke with people or listened to couples who got reconciled or people who didn't get reconciled but came better. And exposed myself to the material. And that really was provocative, very challenging because of course it brings up everything. You feel ashamed about of dark and now you realize, okay, I have to get rid of it. I have to bring it into the open. And in that process, I begin to find my purpose because what I'm really passionate about is how can I help people to ignite passion? How can I help them to find what makes them come alive? 
how can I help them to find what their true talents are and their strength? And how can I help them to bring it into alignment with their higher purpose? But also, how can I help them to establish in a strong identity? And that's partly because that's my story. You see, because you can only give what you have received. You cannot give what you don't have. I carry something. This is what I also say with the sword. No one can have my sword because it's trademarked. And to be honest, if you try to steal it or copy it, it will not make any difference because my sword is unique like anyone else's sword is unique. So there's no competition. There's no rivalry. There's no, you know, oh, my sword is better. It doesn't matter. It's as long as you embrace what you are created and designed for. It has been a process of figuring this out. And that probably can now help people quicker because of my experience. You know, I don't wish anyone to go through that process, long process. I've walked quite a long journey on this planet. And now I've come to a place like a, say, like a sage, you know, somebody who has carried a lot of wisdom. I can probably help you to get it shorter. So you don't have to walk this journey over that prolonged period of time. But you can only do that when you have lived through it. That makes the difference. You dropped so many gems in this conversation. A lot of great metaphors as well. And you shared something so deep and, and so vulnerable. Really, thank you so much for, for sharing that. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yes. Marco, thanks so much for coming on the show. And for our listeners, you can find out more about his transformational coaching program at marcostefano.com and the links will be in the show notes again Marco thank you so much thank you for having me